Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Hey, good morning, you guys. Welcome. How are you doing? Good. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, good. That was that was a, uh, a really great time of worship this morning, wasn't it? It was good to just experience the presence of God, and and um, and you survived last night the torrential downpour. That was good. Uh, we made it. So this morning, um, yeah, I think God has something special for us this morning as a church community. We're going to be kind of pressing into uh, the second to last chapter of Revelation, um, but the I wanted to start our time together by telling you a story about something that happened to me. Uh, this March, it'll have been 20 years, um, 20 years ago, that I got married on, on a day very much like this. Yeah. Well, you should, hopefully you're applauding Amy, because she's the one that really has put in the work. Um, yeah, I got married, uh, it was on a Sunday, right? We got married on a Sunday. And it was raining that day, too. Um, and it was beautiful. But here's the thing, I, if you are married, Maybe you might relate to this experience, maybe not, but this was my experience, which was I woke up that day, and I was very much at peace with what was going to happen that day, and I, you know, I went, and I got uh, ready, and I went down to the building, and I kind of stood around for a while. People were putting things in place and doing things, and there really wasn't much for me to do, so I just kind of wandered around, and I talked to people, and um, I kept looking at my watch thinking, oh, surely another hour has passed, and it had been like 10 minutes, you know? And uh, at some point, it started getting closer to, and one of the groomsmen said, hey, there's a room back here that you can just wait in, and you know everything's going good. Just, just hang out in here. And I went in, and I sat in this room, and I sat there, and I thought, after a really long period of time had passed, I was actually reading a book. I was just sitting there reading a book. I was really relaxed. I mean, I was just totally at peace, and I was reading a book, and I, and I was like, man, it feels like an hour has gone by. What is going on? When are they going to come get me? And I look, and it had been nine minutes. Oh, my gosh. And just, like, more time went by, and I talked to more people. And I went out, and I checked, and the band was still tuning up for the service. I was like, man, alive. And I went out there. And then all the way up to the ceremony, so I'm standing there with the, uh, you know, the preacher and the whole crew and the whole thing, and the doors open, and here comes Amy. And here's the thing. I mean, that was a special moment for me, but... But here's the thing is, I had helped, of course, of course I did, because I'm me. I, I had helped write the song that was going to be playing while she was walking down, and I crafted this song with a friend of mine, and I gave it to him, and he's playing it live as she's walking down. The, it was really cool. It was a cool moment. But I started getting kind of stressed as I was like, she's walking too slow in my head. I was like, this song is not long enough. She's walking too slow. Her dad is walking her too slow. And it just went on and on, and I was like sweating, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to have to repeat the song again, because it's just going too slow. And she got there, and the ceremony went by, and the whole thing. And I was talking to my friend afterwards. I was like, I'm so sorry that you had to like... He's like, no, I played the song exactly. It was like, it was like two and a half minutes. I was like, what? So my whole experience, that whole day, it, it was like time just stretched out. And it was like the thing that I was waiting for, which was to be married. I just wanted to be married, you know? I wanted to be done. Um, and it, it just took so long to get there. And um, I don't understand why that happens sometimes. It feels like time just stretches out in certain moments, right? And, um, but but I, I know for us, as we wait for the promise 
that Jesus has made to return, that for some of us, that's been our experience. It just seems like, what is he waiting for, you know? It's taking so long. Have you, have you ever had to wait a really long time for something that was promised? Um, we're going we're gonna to read about that today. So uh, today, I'm going to say this for the last time for this year. We're in a series called Last Days, and I hope you've enjoyed it. We started at the very beginning of this year, and we've come in and out of this series. And the idea of this Last Days series comes from Hebrews, where it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. The first century Christians believed that they were in a period of time that began with the death and resurrection of Jesus and would continue on until the return of Jesus, and that period of time is called the last days. So we're in the last days, not because there's only a few days left, but because the time period for the last 2,000 years was known to the early apostles as the last days. And the thing that, that um, defines this period of time for those first century Christians was that he says, in these last days, he's spoken to us through Jesus. And he's speaking to us still, right? It defines this period of time. And so we used this series this year um, to talk about um, how we want to live as, as people of God if these days are numbered. If, they're, if this isn't going to last forever, then how do we want to live? In fact, we got that from 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, in other words, since nothing lasts forever, right, what kind of people ought you to be? Um, he, says, he goes on to say, but in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And we're going we're to talk about that today. Um, so we're coming into Christmas, right? And um, uh, many years ago, when I was, I think I was about 10 or 11, I can't remember the exact year, but somewhere in there, 10 or 11, um, uh, it was the Christmas season, and my parents put out all the gifts like a week or two ahead of time. They're all wrapped, and I was really excited to see that the biggest gift on the, under the tree, by like a lot, had my name on it. It was big. It was, and I just couldn't imagine what could be in this box. It was so big, I thought, I thought, is it a TV? No, that's crazy. That's crazy. We had like a little black and white TV in our house like this big. No, it couldn't be that. You know, I, is it a bike? I already have a bike. I, you know, I kept imagining all these different things, but I couldn't picture what it was. I even picked it up. It was real heavy, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't picture it. So the day Christmas came, and, you know, we, I don't know how you do it in your house. We, we do the, um, uh, the stockings first, right? You know, you drag it out. You do the stockings. Then you do the smallest things all the way up to the biggest one. This was the last gift under the tree. And I finally, I unwrapped it, and it was a box, and I opened the box, and I looked inside, and I had no idea what I was looking at. I was like, there's things in here, I don't know, and, and my dad goes, it's a basketball hoop. It's like, okay, if you know me at all, like, I, me and sports are not well acquainted. I don't, like, I've never played basketball in my life, and I don't, I think they just looked at me and thought, he's a little tall-ish, I guess. So they got me, my, my parents are lovely, I love them, and they're so well-meaning, and if they're watching, I, I'm realizing right now, they're probably watching this, I love you, mom and dad. The basketball hoop was a swing and a miss. That's just what it was, you know? And so we take the thing outside, and I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to embrace this. The basketball hoop, let's do it. And we spent like half the day trying to mount this thing. First of all, our driveway was sloped. So pretty, pretty quickly it became obvious there wasn't a lot of thought about where it was going to go until we opened the box, you know? So we have a sloped driveway. We're all looking at it going, no, not there. The side yard had like this big pine tree. No. And so finally we settled on the backyard. There was like this 10 by 15 inch, or 10 by 15 foot, 
like pad of concrete in the back, right? There's no pole, so my dad goes, well, mount it on the house. Except the house has like a sloped roof, so we ended up mounting it over the door of the, that leads to the, um, the garage. So in the end, it was mounted about this high off the ground, and because it was just the only place to put it. And we, you know, we spent hours up there, you know, bolts and drilling the house, and a lot of choice words were exchanged among people. And we got this thing finally up there, and we're standing back there and looking at it, and we're tired and we're dirty. And my, my mom and my sister, Wendy, peek their heads out and look. And Wendy had the best line of the whole day. She looks out and she goes, that's great, boys. Do we even own a basketball? <laughs> we don't. Nope. Have you ever waited for something, and then when you finally got, got it, it was different than you expected? Um, so reading this passage in Revelation chapter 21, it's about heaven. But it's way different than you would expect. Here's... See if this sounds familiar to you. So, so outside of the Christian tradition, and even within it, this is how a lot of people think about this. If you're a good person, if you do mostly good things, more good things than bad things, someday when you die, your spirit will rise up into the clouds, into the lights, and you'll go through a, a gate. Maybe St. Peter will be there, depending on your tradition, right? You'll be handed a harp, and I guess you'll play music and spend time with God. The end, right? That sounds familiar, right? I mean, let's be honest. That's kind of the version. And maybe we add things to that inside the Christian tradition, not just if you're a good person, but if you have Jesus in your heart, right, then all of the other stuff is true. Uh, that's a very common way people, if you talk to people on the street, ask them, just, hey, describe what happens after I die as a Christian. What, what would happen? Um, they would describe something like that. If you go to a bookstore right now, you'll see, Barnes and Nobles. You'll see books in the Christian living section, if they have one. Uh, you'll see books about people saying that they had a vision of heaven. If you read it, it's often things like this. I think they're probably mostly nonsense, but, uh, but that's, that's kind of the view that people have of heaven. And then, and then more modern scholars, you know, they'll describe it as more like, well, you know, when you read the scriptures, it appears that heaven isn't so much a place you go to as heaven seems to come down, seven comes to earth. And this is the passage that they use to describe it. I would say it like this. As I've read this and read this again, it seems like what, what's happening here in this passage is, is that Jesus comes to earth and returns in the end to resurrect his church, and he brings heaven with him. Um, and, and John talks about this in the way that he knows how, which is through pictures and images. So we're going to read this passage. This is... This is uh, Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and I've invited my wife up here. She's going to actually read the passage for us, so give her a big hand. This is Amy, Amy Matley. Hello. Thanks for joining me. I feel like I should clarify something. Chris was talking about our wedding day. Oh, boy. And he said that I went too slow down the aisle. <laughs> well, well, no, I say I just think I should clarify, I was savoring every moment. Okay. So <laughs> I just took my time. I enjoyed every moment of it. I'd waited so long, so. I guess that's reasonable. That's that. I, what I said was, it felt like, it felt like. Okay, well. But that's fair. <laughs> okay, here You know, go. when you invite a truth teller up to. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is, the, <laughs> this is what's gonna happen. All right, so what we're going to do, thanks, Amy. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to read, uh, she's going to read Revelation chapter 1, a few verses at a time, and we're going to just, we're going to talk about it. So there's an, 
There's an invitation in the Old Testament. God invites his people, come, let's reason together, right? Let's have conversation together and explore and exchange ideas, and we're going to kind of do that. We're going to read this passage and look at the images and then talk about them together, all right? You guys ready? So we'll have it up on the screen. If you want to turn there, you can as well, or if you just want to listen to Amy read, that's totally fine. This is Revelation 21, chapter, uh, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Okay, so just to start with, he says, he says what? There's, a, there's something new happening now, okay, something new. So there was something old, and now something new is about to happen. And in this new version of the world that combines both heaven and earth together, he says there's no more sea. Now that's really... If you're a surfer, that's, that's really scary, right? That's, that's terrifying. But, but again, remember, we talked about this. John is speaking in images and pictures, okay? I don't think that he means literally the new earth or the, the restored earth will ha not have a body of salt water covering it. That would be pretty disastrous for our environment, actually. We're pretty dependent on it. I think uh, what that means is it's a symbol. And remember that for these first century, the Hebrews, for the, for the Christians, uh, who had come across the water, come across the sea, to take everything for them? And they were currently living under that impression. It was Rome. Rome came from the sea. In fact, earlier in Revelation, uh, John uses that image again. He says, a beast rises up out of the sea, right? A monster. And it's Rome. Rome is the monster. And, and so he says, there will be no more uh, highway which, uh, across which uh, suffering and oppression will come against God's people. Okay, let's keep going. <clears throat> I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. So there's a bunch in there, right? There's a really fantastic promise for his people. So... So John uses this image of a city. He calls it Jerusalem. He calls it the new Jerusalem, in fact, this city coming down out of heaven. So think about the earth as a space created for human beings to exist in, right? It works really good for us to exist. As carbon-based life forms, this is a good place for us to be. If you look out into the universe, there's a bunch of really bad places, <laughs> places where we would not survive. Here, it's really good. And if you think of heaven as being the space that God inhabits, where his presence is, you see these two things now getting closer and closer to cohabitating. And out of this space comes a new Jerusalem. Um, and, and John tells us, sometimes he gives us a symbol, and we're meant to ponder it and think about it. Other times he gives us a symbol, and he says, here's what I mean. And he does that here. He says, this new Jerusalem is prepared like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So we saw from previous chapters, who's... Who's the bride of Christ? Who's the bride? The we are collectively to the church. We're a bride being prepared for a wedding day. All right, this is the rejoining of uh, Jesus and his church, right? So this, so you're gonna die someday. I just wanna tell you, you're gonna die and I'm gonna die. It's gonna happen. If you didn't know, it's gonna happen. And when we die, our hope is 
that we will be resurrected in Jesus if we have relationship with him. And if we are resurrected in him, then we will return with him someday. And this is a picture of that happening. So this new Jerusalem, this is the church returning with Jesus uh, to the earth. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. So one of the names that Colin sang this morning in the band uh, is Emmanuel. That means God with us. It's a profound thought that the God of the universe that created everything uh, is dwelling among people. But this is the picture that, that John is building on here. Um, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 66. He says, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and your descendants endure. There's a promise to us as followers of God that, that we will go on, that this is not all there is for us. And he quotes Jeremiah there, so you will be my people and I will be your God. This seems to indicate that as God's presence reoccupies the earth, the most defining characteristic of that event will be a sense of kind of unprecedented unity between God and man. You know, we worshiped today together, and towards the end, uh, Colin and the band, they were making a space where there's kind of some spontaneous singing, right? And, some, and, um, and you might have felt some stirring of God's presence in that moment, right? You might have felt like, it seems like God is somehow more here than he was before. And that's, that's like a little bite-sized taste of this exact thing that we're talking about. Um, but this event here that John is describing, it's the main course. It's the main course. It's where God's presence is no longer um, uh, um, inhibited in any way, and it just completely occupies uh, the earth completely. So let's keep going. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. It's beautiful, isn't it? What a picture of our future there. You know, the... <clears throat> The kind of the universal cosmic scale of this picture is it's, it's enormous. It's, it's big. Um, you know, we're talking about the whole world. We're talking about the whole universe being changed. But we shouldn't forget that the fulfillment of this promise that, that he's talking about here um, was, was first introduced to a marginalized woman who had gone to get water from a well in the middle of the day to hide from her shame. That was where this concept was first introduced. This is the character of the God that we serve. This cosmic scale, and here's how it was introduced to humanity. Jesus sat by a well in a dry and thirsty place, and he told a woman a story about a people that would someday partake of living water. The very first person that Jesus introduced his real identity as the Messiah and the Savior to was a woman that had been rejected by the world. This is the character of our God. All right, let's keep going. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars... 
they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven <clears throat> last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away to the, in the spirit to a great mountain um, that was high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So this is uh, harking back to last week's passage, which was, was challenging. It was difficult. Um, it talks about a, a separation, a divide in humanity, right? And it uses stark and pretty, like, um, pretty heavy language, right? But what John is doing is he's building a contrasting picture here, right? So he's... He's remarking on the reality that, that one day there will, be, there will be those that ultimately choose death rather than relationship with God, and that God will honor their choice. God isn't forcing any situation here in this vision. There are people that will choose uh, death over eternal life with God, and God will honor that. Um, but we have to be careful here as this contrast is made, because we don't want to, I don't think, I don't think that we're meant to look at that list of descriptions of people choosing death and think, um, you know, and think, oh, oh, thank goodness I'm, I'm not one of those, I, or, or those people deserve that. I think what we're meant to do is look at that. In fact, let's look at that list. He says, the cowardly, the unbelieving, have, have you ever acted out of fear in your life? Have you ever had unbelief? You remember the Great Commission where Jesus gathered his, his 11 apostles and commissioned them to build the church. And it said, it said uh, they worshipped him, but some doubted, even at that moment. The vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral. Remember that Jesus raised the standard among his believers, said even if you have thoughts of hate for your brother, that it's the same as murder, Right? We're in this list. Those who practice magic arts, that's a really unfortunate English translation. It sounds like we're talking about like uh, Harry Potter and Hogwarts there, but it's actually not. That Greek word is pharmakoias. It's where we get the word pharmacist. So pharmacists, sorry, you guys. We're, you're <laughs> real sorry. Um, but, you know, they make us wait a really long time for our medication. No, Phar no. It, it is where we get the word pharmacist, but it actually, it's a, it's a unique Greek word which means, which to the first century Christian, they would have heard this and, and heard like a poisoner or someone who uses medicines or hallucinogens to try to deceive people. So, you know, someone acting in bad faith. Um, and, and it says idolaters and, and liars, people that have made idols out of the wrong things um, and people who have been dishonest. We should, we should see ourselves in some way in this list, and we should marvel and say, thank God that we've been spared, right? Thank God that we've been spared. If you look at the luxury that, with which that John describes this, so he's contrasting two, two realities, people that will choose death over life and people that have been spared for life because of their choice, right? And there's this, he describes it with this new world with jewels and with gold and all, and it's not, it's not so much about luxury as it is about the holiness of God's people. But how are we made holy? It's through the atoning blood of Jesus, right? It's through his sacrifice. Jesus told his followers, he says, I must go so I can prepare a place for you. 
So when I return, I can take you with me. This is the place that he's preparing for us. And how did he prepare that place? By dying in our, in our stead, right? Because otherwise, we would be in this list of, because we are, we are just as guilty of all of these things. The difference is that we've chosen life, and God will also honor that choice in the end. All right, let's keep going. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and as high as it, was, it is long. The angel <clears throat> measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. So we have to remember that when John uses numbers, they're highly symbolic. They're, they're you know, so... You know, if you, got, uh, if you got a map and you started measuring out, how big is this city? Like, it would be, like, as big as the Mediterranean area. It's, so this isn't, we're not meant to, I don't believe, take this literally and believe that this giant uh, stone city is going to drop from the sky and land on the earth. That would actually destroy the earth is what would happen if that really happened. Um, in fact, these, these are symbolic numbers. And we can see the symbolry now that we've read through the book. If you look back, you might remember us talking about... Um, the great multitude, and John gave it a number. He said it was 144,000, right? But it's not, that's not a precise number of people. It's an inclusive number. It's a way of saying people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tradition, every culture. As John wants to make sure we have this picture that in, in God's coming world, there's no one who is left out who does not explicitly choose to be. No one is left out. All right, let's keep going. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The 12 gates <clears throat> were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. If there's any geologists in the house, maybe you could uh, tell us how to pronounce some yes. of those because those, yes, were, for sure. those were really challenging. Uh, so there's this, there's this old uh, joke, I heard it when I was young, where... You know, a man uh, is headed to heaven. He knows he's headed to heaven. And he get, grabs a sack, and he fills it full of all of the gold. He transforms all his wealth into gold, and he fills the sack. And he goes up to the, uh, the pearly gate, and there's St. Peter. And Peter goes, welcome. Welcome to heaven. And he, look, he goes, what do you have in the bag? And he looks, and he goes, why did you bring all that paving material? <laughs> right? It's, it's an old joke, right? But there's this way in which John is describing this new world, this new city, and it's lavish, right? It's lavish. In fact, gold is so common now, it's a, it's a 
uh, paving material. Well, of course, these are still, these are symbols, these are images. And um, I think there's a message here for us that all of the things that we acquire in this world, it, it really means nothing to God, right? There's not, you, you know, you, you cannot take it with you. There's, but there's this way in which God, uh, in, in his extravagance, tells us that um, these, these material things that we spend so much time talking about and thinking about and fighting over uh, and obsessing over, in the end, will come to nothing. The, the real value is in the relationship that's restored between us and God. In fact, you'll notice the detail here in what Amy read, that there's no temple. One of the basic hopes of ancient Judaism was, in fact, they recited it daily in their prayer, was the restoration and renewal of the temple. So here's a picture of ultimate reality and the thing that God's people had been longing for and hoping for is not there. And yet it is, isn't it? Because the, the, the need for the temple is gone because God has made his, his home in the hearts of his people. This is now God's temple right here. And there and there and together, this is God's temple. Not in a place, not in a physical location. It's not made out, made out of physical stuff. It's made of our hearts. This is God's space being reunited with our space here. All right, we're, we're almost done. Let's finish up the last part of the chapter there. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thanks, Amy. You want to give Amy a little... Little hand there. <clears throat> so this is this is where I want to finish today. Is that it seems like um, it seems like the message for us today that rises out of this chapter, at least as far as I can tell, is that that God will finish the work He started. This is a, a chapter that's about God finishing His ultimate work in the earth, and it's easy to think about this massive scale, right? This cosmic event, and marvel at it, and hope for it. Um, but it's easy to think that it only represents a future hope. Well, it does represent a future hope, but there's also a promise being fulfilled in you and I right now. He told us that, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God began a work in you, and he's going to complete it. And not just in the future, but he's completing it right now. He's, he's working on it right now. Remember the, the verse we read at the very beginning, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's the question we've been pondering this, this year. And, and, and Peter goes on to say, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And listen to this. He says, and speed its coming. So when will Jesus return? When will Jesus return? People make claims about this all the time, right? And, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't. He said, no man knows the day nor the hour. He said, not even the Son of Man, but only the Father in heaven knows when I shall return. But we can do something about it in the meantime. In fact, it seems like we exert some influence over its timing by how we live and how we open ourselves to what God is doing in our lives. He will finish his work, and he's going to make all things new. But he has some work to finish in you and in me first. 
So let me ask you this question. What promises are you holding on to and waiting for God to fulfill? What kind of promises has God made to you? What kind of things are you holding on to and waiting to be fulfilled? What are you needing and looking for God to bring into restoration? When Amy and I, uh, a few years ago, moved into the house that we're in now, it's an old house, and we, the, there was tile all over the lower floor, uh, downstairs floor, and I uh, didn't like it at all. And so I, I got some help, and we started breaking up the tile. And first we were hitting it with sledgehammers, and then all of a sudden we discovered underneath there's hardwood. Someone tiled over the hardwood. It was crazy. And the hardwood in there we discovered, it was 150 years old, because um, the house is very old. And so all of a sudden it was like, stop everything. Let's, let's be really careful now. And we began removing the tile much more carefully. And because my, I wanted to preserve this, this hardware, I wanted to somehow save it. And I called this hardwood expert. This guy was recommended to me. He came and he looked at it and we talked about it. And he said, well, this is beautiful what's under here, but it needs a ton of work. He said it would take months and probably $20,000. But it could be preserved. It could be brought back to life. And I was like, you know, I got to move my family in. So I, I put some, I got some vinyl plank tiles and I, you know, floating and I just put it over there because I knew that I could take those up later and maybe come back to it. You know, I, when I looked at, when I thought about that, I agonized it. I was like, oh, I want to save this floor, but it's, it's beautiful. It has value, but it's too big for me. It just felt like too big for me to take on, you know? I was overwhelmed by it. So I covered it up. I buried the problem for another day because it felt to me like the cost for doing it right then was too high. And I think for many of us, that's our story, is there's things in us that God has brought to life again and again. You see this in, in the lives of other people, and you see this in our own life, right? It, I see this in my own life, where there's this cycle where God brings things back around again and again, and this hard thing comes up, and he's just asking, is today the day? Is now the time? Do you want to deal with this now? We can do it later, but now it would be better, right? And again and again, I, I choose to cover that thing up or I, I, I bury the problem for another day. And I think what he's, he's, he's asking of his people today is, do, do you want to open this up? Do you want me to be, finish this work that I started in you? Do, do you want to do something about this? This is what's on offer for us today as a people We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways to, you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.